Well, good morning. It's great to be here this morning. Very excited, and uh-oh, we having problems with the monitor. Of course. Okay, I've got a question for you guys. How many of you have ever been to a, like a Bible camp, a Christian camp, as a camper? <clears throat> Put your hand, okay? How about were you there as a counselor? Good, good. How about uh, just maintenance person or working in the kitchen? Okay, a few. So most of you are familiar with, with camps. So this morning we have kind of a camp theme going here. And uh, to start out any camp, when I like to talk about camp, I like to get the crowd into it. And if I was speaking at a camp this morning, here's what I would probably do. I would go into my bag here and I would grab a bunch of chocolate bars because everybody likes chocolate. And for those of you who are sitting in the front, watch your heads. So you get to have some, those in the front first, right? Because everybody likes to have a little bit of chocolate. Okay, now heads up because it's come, coming back here. Okay, coming back, ready? And I got a few left back here. Oh. We got three more. Here we go. All right, I want to talk to you about my first camp. So I can't see the, uh, the monitors there, but are we up? Okay, so my first camp was in 1976 at a camp called Ross Haven Bible Camp. It is out uh, west of Edmonton. If you know where Alberta Beach is, across the lake is a little a little hamlet called Ross Haven, and that's the very first Bible camp I went to in 1976. So we're going back away. So the picture in the front, and you can see the arrow of me there, is the very first time I was a counselor at camp in 1979. And why I remember that is the t-shirt I'm wearing underneath, my brother brought back from Hawaii. You know those shirts that always had the dates on them? That one said 79 Hawaii on it. Very first camp. The camp there, the big camp up on the left, that's the very first camp I spoke at uh, in the summer camp out at Ross Haven Bible Camp. So I've spoken at big camps, I've smoked, spoken and smoked. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk about smoking later and some kids. I spoke at uh, all kinds of camps, small camps. You can see there I went tenting with guys all the time. Uh, I've been backpacking in the mountains over two mountain peaks with kids, and uh, I've done church camps, I've done soccer camps, wilderness camps, and of course, Bible camps. I'm going to mention a few camps I've been to, and if you've ever heard of these camps or been to them, maybe just give a little shout out. So obviously, Ross Haven Bible Camp, no one's ever been there? No? Oh, you have? Awesome, okay. How about uh, Frontier Lodge? It's a camp, yes, awesome, out at, by Nordegg, Alberta, Plover Lake Bible Camp, down by Youngstown, yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, Camp Nakaman, uh, yeah, Camp Silversides, uh, Gall Lake Bible Camp, all types of camps. So summer camps, winter camps, spring camps, fall camps, I've done all kinds of camps. Uh, in 1984, just checking to see the pictures up there. 1984, there's an arrow of a young guy there, 12 years old, he comes to camp. Everybody's talking about this kid. Dean McCammon. 
and he's 12 years old. We're playing box hockey at camp, and he's just beating everybody, and they're saying, this kid is going to play in the NHL. Sure enough, Dean McCammon played for the Edmonton Oilers, played for that other team down south. What is that? Yeah, that other Southern Alberta team. Uh, I got a hockey stick in my basement from Dean McCammon. When I used to run a drop-in center, he gave me some stuff there. So uh, um, the reason, I have lots of pictures of camps, but the reason I put the picture up of the water skiing camp is because the two guys who ran the water skiing camp, me and my best friend Lance, neither one of us can swim. But we decided to invite a friend of ours out, bring a boat, and do some water skiing uh, with these kids. And then, of course, the other picture is of another winter camp that I was involved in. So I want to take you back to a couple special years. One was 1984, Ross Haven Bible Camp. So there, if it's up there, just nod or something, is it up there? The picture of my date that I took to the Friday night banquet. So I'm not sure about your camps that you went to, but Friday nights, the kids talked about this Friday night meal all week long because who were they going to take as their date? It got ridiculous. I mean, these guys are dressed up in suits. Guys were bringing suits to, uh, to camp. I mean, this is a long story, but, but the next picture is a lot of these older guys, and they're bringing sports coats and shirts and ties. And uh, I'm going to talk a lot about this group from 1985. Because this week of camp changed my life. There was hockey players there, soccer players there, basketball, smart, mature guys. Uh, we got the guys with the ties on, right, in the picture? Okay. And so uh, that wasn't my cabin. But the next picture is my cabin. <laughs> now, I had to keep up with these young kids, so I went to one of these tuck rental places, and I bought this used... Baby blue tux with a nice blue bow tie. I still have that bow tie. And so I dressed up. And, of course, my junior counselor there, uh, Lyndon, he was from Three Hills, one of the many kids, young people we had from Three Hills. And he's dressed, yeah, he's dressed in a dress. Um, but we had a great, great, great group of counselors. So the next picture here is we're all dressed up uh, in our 50s attire, Right? So we had theme nights, we had, you know, Christmas in July and all that kind of stuff. But I want to talk to you about this week. These young people and these counselors who had such a huge impact on my life. Now, as I told you, everybody's gearing up for this Friday night, this date night, and you could see the guys and the girls coupling off during the week, and it was getting a little bit ridiculous. And we felt at the camp that there was more than being ridiculous, there was a spiritual battle going on. We felt we couldn't get through to these young people. And so the one night, it was probably the third day in. You ever have these times at night you just can't sleep and God is nudging you to just get up and pray? Well, that was kind of what I did. I couldn't sleep. My junior counselor was taking care of the rest of the kids. And I got up and I walked down to the kitchen because there's nothing better than a nice ice-cold glass of milk before you go to bed. So I go down to the kitchen. And when I'm in there, okay, we're up, thank you. And I'm in there, and in walks a couple of other counselors. They can't sleep either. And we start chatting, and two more counselors come in. And we start chatting about the spiritual battle that we had at this camp. And then the camp speaker, the guy's name is Gary Henderson from Bonanza, British Columbia. 
He was one of the best speakers I've ever had. He got through these kids, and he showed up. And we're all in the kitchen after midnight, about 12.30, and we decided we need to turn this camp around. We need to get on our knees and pray for these kids. And so we did. We spent the next couple of hours praying for these kids. You don't need sleep when you're at camp, right? It's overrated. You don't need sleep. We prayed for these kids. And my friends, the camp changed. These kids were giving their life to Jesus Christ. These kids were were changing bad habits. These kids were talking to us one-on-one, making confessions about things they needed to change at home. These kids were changing. And it's because we spent time in prayer and God intervened. And I still have goosebumps when I think about that week because it showed me the power of prayer. When God's people come together, there's no accident we all ended up in the kitchen at midnight and prayed for these kids, these young people. Some of them went on to be youth pastors. Some of them are leaders of their church. For years after this camp, I would run into these kids in Edmonton or around, and, and, and before you could even say hi, we'd run up and give each other a big hug. Of course, they're much bigger than me, and they just pick me up and throw me around. But these kids had an impact on my life. Jesus had changed them, totally changed their lives. The next year, 1986, I started volunteering for an organization called Youth for Christ. And I spent 11 years actually working at Youth for Christ, doing camps all year round. But I want to introduce you to a couple of young, young friends of mine years ago. And I want you to meet Victor. So Victor, don't let this innocent picture fool you. I used to take the kids out one-on-one and we'd talk about home life and school and you know, and then I would take some pictures. I was really into photography at the time. And so this is the picture of Victor here all alone. But this next picture is the Victor I know. No, he's not the one with the knife. Victor is the one who is biting the dog's leg. That's the Victor I knew. Victor was a little troublemaker. He was bugging all the other kids. And he was a, you've been a counselor before. You've had that kid in your cabin. No one else wants in their cabin. This kid is a troublemaker. This kid keeps you up at all night, right? That was Victor. So Victor wanted to sleep on the top bunk. Now, I know he's a wiry little guy. I know he's going to move around a lot. So I told him, no, you're not sleeping on the top bunk. First night, what does he do after we're all sleeping? He gets up in the top bunk, and in the middle of the night, I hear thud. I look out my bunk, and there's Victor lying on the floor. He's crying. I go over. I'm a little bit compassionate, and I help him and pick him up and put him back. I told you. Well, I told you. You couldn't sleep up there. Ah, yeah, fine. Next day, he's his ornery little self. He's the bratty little kid. He wants to sleep in the top bunk. Of course, I said, no, you can't sleep in the top bunk. What does he do? <laughs> and I stay up late. I'm a night owl at camp. I'm not letting these kids stay up later than me. I'm the last one to go to sleep. Somehow, after I went to sleep, Victor gets up, goes on the top bunk, and about three in the morning, you hear, not again. I look over. He's laying there, and he's crying. And I'm like, serves you right. (laughs) Did I get up and help him this time? Nope. I just left him lay there. He's crying a little bit. What's a few little tears? Okay, I fall back asleep. 
in the morning, Victor's still laying there. So I get out of my bed. Hey, hey, Victor, get up. Oh, oh, what? Don't touch me. What's wrong? I don't know. I'm sore. My arm is sore. Uh oh. <laughs> get dressed, run, go get the nurse from the kitchen. She comes in. She starts doing a pat down on him, gets up around his shoulder, and uh oh, he's hurt. There's something wrong. Something's out of place. I'm feeling bad now. Yeah. So, all Victor kept saying was, I don't want to offend anyone this morning, but here's what he kept saying. I got to pee. I got to pee. I've been lying here all night. I got to pee. Okay, so the nurse and one of the other ladies drag him over to the door of the cabin, lean him on his side, and then he does his business. Then they get him back in. They get him dressed. We drive into Rocky Mountain House to the hospital, and what happened? Broken collarbone. Ah, broken collarbone. As you'll see this next picture here, you'll see Victor on the top there. I don't know how you can see him, but it looks like he's missing an arm. He's not missing an arm. He's got a sling in the red shirt there. And then this next picture, he's, uh, this cabin picture's at the end of the week there. And uh, Victor's there. And he's right in the front. He's giving a thumbs up to the camera. And as you can see his sling, let me tell you, after he broke his collarbone, he was the best kid at camp. <laughs> that kid was following me around. Can I help you? Can I do this? Can I do that? It was unreal. It was a changed kid. And I kind of take a little bit of credit for it. Because <laughs> I let him just lay there all night. Another one of those Hawaii t-shirts, 1986. Who had one of those t-shirts? Can we go back? Anybody? Yes. Okay. So I want to introduce you to another friend of mine. I spent a lot of years working with Jill. G-I-L-L-E-S. There's Jill. Oh, yeah. He looks so innocent, too. I tell you, if you only knew these kids. He was from a single-parent home. He was referred to us from social services. He didn't have his dad in his life. And... Uh, he just came across as so innocent. You, you know those kids that are always in trouble, but they're innocent? They can talk their way out of anything. They just sweet talk anyone but me. No way. You're not going to sweet talk me. He was always, Jill was always in my cabin. Year after year, there he is. We're having a little bit of fun. He's hard not to like, though. He'd make me laugh. Even when he's causing trouble, he'd make me laugh. And so I kind of liked this kid. I kind of took him under my wing. And uh, really, I had to have a lot of patience working with this guy. He was a handful, a real handful. So here we are on the top of Mount Baldy. That's by uh, Nordeg. We hiked the kids up to the top. And, you know, Jill, some of the things I remember about him was uh, putting bugs in my sleeping bag. You know, you, you get in at night, and all of a sudden, you're kind of a little itchy. And what's down there? And all of a sudden, you realize it's a bunch of bugs in there. He would hide my clothes. He'd keep me up all night. <sighs> yeah, he was a handful. So one summer, we planned on going to uh, Frontier Lodge by Nordig again. And we had the whole summer planned. And then there was a fire at the camp. And so we had to change our plans. What's, what's plan B? So plan B was going tenting at Crimson Lake. Now, there's Jill. He's a little bit older now. He's uh, 13, and he's almost as tall as me. And he was even more of a handful. And so we had this, this camp planned. So we went tenting at Crimson Lake. 
Now, he was his typical self, except worse. He wasn't doing dishes. He wasn't helping with chores. He was picking on people. He was bugging people. And really, I was at the end of my last nerve with this kid. So we're playing volleyball down by the beach. I'm a little bit competitive when it comes to sports. Just a little bit, eh, Brenda? And so Gilles is on my side. And we're playing volleyball, and we're doing pretty good. And the ball's coming to me, and he comes up behind me and just punches me in the back. Seriously? Okay, we keep playing, and then the ball comes to me again, punches me again in the back. That's twice. These aren't little punches. Punches me twice. What would you do? Keep playing volleyball because you want to win, right? Let me set up the scenario because it's very important to me. If we lost this last point, we'd lose the game. I don't want to lose. I like to win. The ball is served over, and it's not coming to me. It's coming to Gilles. He's standing right over here, and am I going to go in front of him and take the ball? Absolutely not. That would be wrong. What did I do? I ran over, and I need him as hard as I could right here. Yes, now we're talking, buddy. He dropped like a sack of potatoes, tried not to cry. You could see him holding back the tears. He gets up, and he's limping back. He, he just quit the game. He limps back. By the way, we lost the game. He's limping back to our tents, which were about a mile away. Back then it was miles. Now it's kilometers. Anyways, all the kids who were playing volleyball with, they start clapping for me. It's about time someone put him in his place. And all I could think of is, I've just lost my job. I am going to be fired. I am in big trouble. I said, guys, you don't realize what I just did. I crossed the line. I shouldn't hit a kid. I can lose my job. Do you remember kids when they would get mad at you when they're younger and they'd say, I'm going to sue you. I heard that all the time. Don't touch me. I'm going to sue you. Well, this is what I expected the next morning. I didn't see him all night. He went to his tent and he laid there. He gets up the next morning. I'm ready for it. Never said a word. Never mentioned he's going to sue me. Never mentioned he was mad at me. In fact, he was a changed kid. He's doing dishes. He's helping out. I'm not recommending that you hit or hurt children. This was the one and only time that I crossed the line. Really, I was scared. I thought, there goes my job. But it changed him for the week. Good memories of these kids. Really good memories. In 1989, I was asked to speak at a camp out in Evansburg. January 1989. Why does that stand out? Because when I went to speak at this camp, there was a young lady there who was one of the counselors, one of the volunteers for the weekend. Now, I was not looking to date anyone. I was not looking for a girl. I just wanted to go and speak and tell kids about Jesus, right? That's why I was at the camp. But for some reason, this young lady in the front row there in the picture, and I were kept being put on the same teams. And you know what? We were kicking butt playing games. A lot of you know how much I like games. This girl knew how to play games, and we were kicking butt. Anyways, through the weekend, 
someone had to go downtown and, and get some ice cream for some dessert, and so I kind of asked if she wanted to come with me, and long story short, uh, I asked her out. We started dating. Uh, we got married in March of 1990, and we've been married for 28 years, all because I went to speak at a camp. There you go, guys. You're looking for a wife? Go and speak at a camp. Camp Evansburg, because that's where we met. It has a, a real special place in my heart. Uh, you can see the picture on the bottom. All the kids are sitting in the chairs. It's not a real big camp. You can maybe have, you know, 30, 40 kids, maybe max 50. But I remember the one, the one time we were doing a spring camp, and there was this young girl there. She was 12 years old. A little bit young to be at teen camp, but she came to teen camp. So I don't know if any of you are 12 around here. You kind of understand 12-year-olds can be a little bit shy. And so when I'm up there speaking, she's sitting halfway down, right on the aisle, and I'm speaking away. And you know, when you're speaking, you think of a lot of things. You see what's going on. You watch who's awake, who's sleeping, who's got eye contact with you. And all of a sudden, I hear this drip, drip, drip. And I'm like, what the heck? What is that? And this poor young girl, and I'm here, and she's down there, she had to go to the bathroom, and she was too shy to get up and go. And so she wet her pants. Can you imagine the embarrassment of a 12-year-old, first time at camp? And there's this red-headed kid sitting right in the front here who was a troublemaker. There's always troublemakers at camp. He turns around, and he's going to start pointing out what's going on. And so I raise my voice in my speaking, and I kick him in the shins. Shut up, I said, and these older girls took care of him, her, took her out, and everything was fine, but I'm like, come on, buddy, and so I always tell kids when I'm speaking at a camp, I'm not afraid to come out there and hurt you. If you're misbehaving, I'll come out there. I'll kick you in the shins. I might even knee you. No, I'm not kneeing anybody anymore. Uh, I show you the picture there. I have hundreds of pictures at home. Uh, of the camps. In fact, the last few weeks, that's all I've been doing is going through photo albums. And the reason I have that one picture of the group, we're in Jasper. We were in Evansburg for the weekend, and we decided, I decided, let's take the kids to Jasper for the day. So we didn't tell the parents, though. So the parents didn't know. They're at home. And so the pastor of the church that we were at at the time, he announces on Sunday morning, let's pray for the youth as they are going to Jasper today. Did I get in trouble with the parents? Yeah, I got in trouble. Didn't tell them. My kid didn't have any money. I didn't think you're going to go that far. It's part of working with youth, right? You know what? Sometimes you just got to make those decisions and, and live on the edge. And anyways, Camp Evansburg uh, had a great, has a great place in my heart. I took kids out there when I used to live in Mill Woods and I coached soccer. I took kids out there for soccer camp. Kids of all kinds of backgrounds went out there. And uh, one of the highlights was at midnight getting the cars around the soccer field and playing soccer till like 2 in the morning. I mean, does it get any better than that? This is so much fun. So I've done a lot of camps. I have a lot of stories. And there's been some highs and there's been some lows. Some life-changing camps. Now, my philosophy is anyone can run a camp. Almost anyone can run a camp. There's all kinds of camps out there. But when you give kids an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ, 
then that's a life-changing camp. Any camp I'm speaking at, whether it's small or even I'm in charge in, I mean, I've been, a, like I said, I've been a, a camper, I've been a counselor, I've, I've directed camps, I've spoke at camps, but I'm not going to go if I can't tell people, kids, about Jesus Christ because he changed my life. And I want to tell kids that Jesus can change their life. Just think of camps. You're with kids 24-7. They're away from their phones, their computers, their TVs, their bad-influenced friends, spending hours and hours of talking with kids one-on-one, whether it's on on the bunk bed or on the floor of a cabin or up on a mountaintop or in a tent or by the lake. Kids will open up. You get down on their level and you talk with them. You find out their names. That was one of my favorite things, is to find out the kids' names at camp. Even when I'm the speaker and there's like 120 kids, I want to know everyone's name. Now, one of the things I used to do, and I found my old Bible here from camp days, and why it's special to me is, and it's, it's in rough shape, but inside I have hundreds and hundreds of signatures of kids at camp. I didn't keep one of those little diary autograph books. This was it. And at night, before I'd go to bed, I'd memorize these kids' names, what they were wearing and and what they looked like, and just call them by name and let them know they're special. I still read this and look back, and I'm so blessed at what some of the kids have written and how some of the kids have changed. God's word. God's word. And that's what camp is about for me. When I worked at Youth for Christ, I had the motto of this. Fun and games with the word of God. Fun and games get their attention. And then you find and you earn the right to share the good news that Jesus Christ changes lives. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm reading from Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Now, i got to build this up a little bit because I believe that the Bible talks a lot about camping. In fact, we're not the people of Israel camping for how many years? 40 years, staying in tents, in the wilderness. And so my mind got thinking, during this time... What are the kids doing? The kids had some chores, I'm sure. Now the dads are maybe off in the army sometime or preparing. So what would the kids be doing? They're not always doing chores. They had to have some fun time. So what would they do at camp? So I kind of thought maybe they had skills and craft options as well back in the wilderness. So bear with me as I kind of use my imagination and think, this is maybe what the camp looked like for the people of Israel. The kids do their chores, and then they go off for day camp or whatever, and here's some of the things maybe that they could learn. How to herd goats. Sheep riding. Wouldn't that be fun? We still do it today. Mastering the skill of the slingshot. That'd come in handy. Spear throwing. Someday you'll be in the army. You need to learn how to throw a spear. I'm sure someone had to teach them. 101 ways to prepare manna. 
What a wonderful course that would have been. What about trumpet lessons? Would they not need trumpet lessons a little bit later on? You know, Jericho, the walls, you know, right? How to stuff a quail. Tent mending, fire making, and maybe one of the hardest and most, the one they had to study the most, this class, knowing your foods, clean or unclean. Man, isn't that a list? But the most important part during this day camp, I think, is what we find in the word of God that is passed down to the people of Israel, the people who are camping for all these years. Here's what they're told to do. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. These are the commands, the decrees, and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land you are crossing, the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord as long as you live by keeping all of these decrees. Now, hear Israel, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God of your ancestors promised you. So hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be in your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. Basically, all day long, whenever you have a chance, teach your children. There is one God, and we need to serve him. What I get from this is that when we teach our children through God's word, we're teaching them life-changing principles, are we not? When you're at camp with kids, they not only hear God's word, but they see God's word lived out in the counselors and the helpers. Our church has mega sports camps. Last week, Pastor Jeff prayed for some of you who are volunteers and for the, for the kids. And next week, there's another camp. How many of you are involved in mega sports camps? Thank you. Because when you're having fun and games to get their attention, you also have the chance to tell them about Jesus Christ. And when you can do that day after day, and then you're a role model, and you're not perfect, because believe me, I'm not perfect. You've heard some of my stories. I've messed up. Even though we're not perfect, God can use us to help change lives. 
And so when Pastor Marlowe asked if I could speak this morning, August 19th, I looked on the calendar and I, and I heard the announcements, and it's right in between the two mega sports camps. And I thought, I gotta talk about camps. Camps have had a huge impact on my life, and they're gonna have a huge impact on your life. And it's not just the kids who come to camp. We are giving young people an opportunity to serve and to be role models. And so that's why I, I'm so happy that you guys are involved in that. You are involved in life-changing camps. I was a young kid who didn't know Jesus. Someone told me about Jesus. It changed my life. There may be that one person this next week who's never heard about Jesus yet, and he's going to give his life to Jesus, him or her, and it can change thousands of lives to come. So I'm just going to close with this. I know last week that uh, Pastor Jeff, you prayed for the kids of last week. I I want us to pray for the kids who went. Some made decisions, I'm sure. And some going home to unchristian families. I know what that's like. That's tough. Because everybody thinks, everybody in my family thought I was crazy at first. Until they slowly see you change. So I want this morning that we're going to close. We're going to pray for the kids from last week. We're going to pray for the kids who are coming this next week. We're going to pray for all you leaders. The kitchen helpers. All the people who takes to run the camp. We're going to pray for them. That, that they will be healthy. That they'll be great role models. And we're going to pray for the rest of us too. That we remember this coming week to pray for these camps. And my final challenge is going to be maybe you can help out next year. Maybe this year it's too late, but maybe you can help out. You don't have to be the speaker. You don't have to be the counselor. You can just come and help out. You can just pray for the kids. So if you would join me and stand this morning. If there's, I, I know we do this sometime in church. If there's someone here this morning that's helping at the camp again, could you do me a favor and just put your hand up again? Could you have, if you're around them, could you go down there and just put your hand on them and pray for them? Pray that they would be healthy, that they would be good models, that they would take opportunities to tell kids about Jesus. So I'm just going to give you time. Just walk over them. Put your hand above them or around them. We're going to pray for them. And I'm going to close in prayer and then hand it over to Jeff. Join me as we talk to God once again this morning. Let's pray. God, first of all, I thank you for the young people and old people here, older people here who are working, who are volunteering, taking their time away from, from work, uh, away from maybe stuff they have to do around the house, to go and spend time with kids, to have fun with them, to earn the right to be heard, to model Jesus Christ. So I pray for their health. I pray for their, their, their wisdom. I pray that they would look for kids who, who are maybe a little bit shyer, Maybe there's those troubled kids that I like, and maybe those are the kids that they will gravitate towards. I just pray that these kids will feel welcomed, they'll feel loved, but most of all, that they would understand what it is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So I just pray an anointing over these helpers, Lord. The ones from last week, the ones who are going to be for next week, Lord. We just pray for them. And it doesn't stop today, friends. We pray for them this coming week. And we pray for the kids who are going to come. They're going to have fun. Camps are fun. 
they're going to hear about Jesus. And God, we just pray that you will open their hearts. We pray now mightily that you bind the enemy, that he would not have that stronghold, that hearts would be opened, that lives would be changed. Bind the enemy, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. In the blood of Jesus, we claim these lives. And God, help us to remember this coming week to pray daily for these camps. We're in a spiritual battle. It's no secret. And when God's people pray, lives are changed. God, bless these people. I am so impressed, God. Thank you, God, for being here. Thank you that you are the one who changes lives. It's not me. It's not them. You work ahead. You go before us. We thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.